Welcome, friends. You are listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Fort Myers, Florida. To learn more, join us online at fccfm.org. It is a blessing to be able to share God's Word with you today. Thanks for joining us. Welcome in the room. Welcome online. Welcome if you're listening on Way FM. I'm Pastor Gary, one of the co-leaders here at church, co-lead pastors, at least for about 25 more minutes. More than 70 times the Bible tells us to remember. It tells us that in a variety of ways. Uh, Sometimes it's God saying to the people, hey, remember what I told you. Remember when I provided for you. Remember I was faithful to you. Remember, remember, remember. Sometimes it's people reminding themselves. uh, The author of Psalm 77, he's kind of a whiner. It wasn't David, so I could say that. Uh, He starts off the psalm just complaining, you know, God, why is all this happening? I thought you did this. I thought you did that. I remember, did I miss something? And then he catches himself about the 11th verse and he says, oh, I'll remember the deeds of the Lord. I'll remember your miracles. I'll meditate on your works. And it completely changes the direction of his thought process. It's important for us to remember. Sometimes in the Bible, people remembered Uh, special times, like Moses would get the people together and he would go through the law and remind them about the Exodus. He did it again in Deuteronomy. He would remind them the second time. Sometimes it was celebrations. They would get together and they would remember things and and recount history. I don't know if that's part of your life. That's kind of happened to us growing up. Uh, Anytime one of us had a birthday, my brother and sisters, my dad would automatically at some point fall into telling us about the day we were born. To the point that after about 15 years, we could almost quote it with him, you know, that it it was a cold night, Gary, the car was buried in the snow and I had to dig it out and we had, you know, it was like, like we could go through that and I thought I will never do that until my kids came along. And then we would set up birthdays and I go, I remember when you were born, we were doing 100 miles an hour down the interstate to get to the hospital and the police stopped us, you know, it's like you, you retell those, it's cool to remember. Well, this morning I wanna do that. Uh, to celebrate, because we have some things this month to celebrate, don't we? I mean, this Thursday, Thanksgiving, beautiful day to celebrate. November 4th was the 99th birthday of First Christian Church. To celebrate that, yeah. So if you'll allow me this morning, I just want to share some history that maybe some of you know, and maybe some of you will hear for the first time about some of the things that we can celebrate. So Story number one is about Thanksgiving. And I know we know about Indians and pilgrims. We learned that in school, but it started way before that. Back in 1534, 1535, Henry VIII was the king of England. He was married and his wife uh, could not, Catherine of Aragon, could not give him a son. So he went to the Pope, Clement VII at the time, and he said, I would like a divorce. And Clement VII said, well, no, you can't have a divorce. And Henry VIII, in his arrogance, thought God should not be more important than the king. So he immediately banned Catholicism from England and began to confiscate all of their lands. Now, side note, he wanted to divorce Catherine so he could marry Anne Boleyn, who was 16. He did marry her in 1536, and he beheaded her in 1539. It didn't work out well. Uh, She also could not give him a son. But in the process, he started the Church of England. 
And when his religious leader said, what do you want to do to start a church? He said, I don't know. I just want to be in charge. Well, they suggested that he put a Bible in every parish, every town in England, and they did so. And over the next 30 or 40 years, people begin to read the Bible. In that time, a group of people who read the Bible began to call themselves Puritans because they saw the purity of what the church was supposed to be versus what the Church of England had become. The Church of England began to to persecute, even made it illegal to worship anything but the Church of England. So in 1610, a group of the Puritans left England and went where? No, they went to the Netherlands. I knew you didn't know the story of Thanksgiving. In 1610, a group went to the Netherlands so they could worship free, but they found that that was not a wise choice. They didn't speak the language. None of the trades they knew were needed in the Netherlands, and it was a miserable 10 years. So in 1620, they got on a boat named the Mayflower, and then they came to America, to Plymouth. And it must have been a big boat because all of us know at least 20 people who say their ancestors were on the Mayflower. I don't know. But two adults died and one child was born. And when they landed, the chief of the tribe of Indians, his name was Massasoit, he saw that there probably needed to be a treaty with these people. So he signed a 10-year treaty in 1620 with the Puritans, the pilgrims. There was a great harvest that year. So in 1621, 401 years ago, they celebrated the first Thanksgiving. And they continued to do that each year. And in 1789, a new country with a new government and a new president, George Washington, made it official. So this week, when we share Thanksgiving, it's more than food and football. We need to remember that there was a lot of sacrifice made by people who started Thanksgiving because they were looking for a place where they could worship free and that we have that place and that we should be thankful. History story number two is about the Christian church because it all started about the same time. A few years before Henry VIII in Germany, there was a priest named Martin Luther. He was reading the book of Romans and he began to see some discrepancies in the way he operated as a Catholic priest and the church operated and in what the book of Romans said. So he began to keep a list. When he got done, he had 95 things that he said, we need to change these things. And he was excited about it because he thought the church wanted to do what the Bible said. And he sent his findings to Rome. And a few years later, he was excommunicated. But uh, a movement began to reform the church. Because a lot of other people read what he wrote and they agreed and they begin to read the Bible and say, yes, we're not doing something right. And so the next couple centuries from the 1500s through the 1700s saw this major reformation of people who called themselves Christians. And in that time, a lot of different groups, especially in the 1700s, had the Methodists and the Lutherans and the Presbyterians and, and all these different groups begin to grow up and say, you know, yes, we want to be more what the Bible says and we're going to be this way and we're going to be this way and we're going to be that way. And it, 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 the Reformation was a great move for people. But unfortunately, in America, as people begin to cross the frontier in the 1700s, the populations begin to double and triple but not the churches and not the Christians. 
to the point that at the end of the 1700s, the decade from 1790 to 1800, my home state, for example, Kentucky, the population tripled, but the number of Christians dwindled. So what some pastors decided to do from all different tribes, from all different types of churches, they began putting together something periodically they called a communion. We would later call them revivals if you grew up in the church. But they would put together and they would find a location and it was horse and buggy day so they knew people had to travel and they would set the dates and they would invite people to come to these campgrounds and they would have three to five days of preaching and singing and praise and then they would wrap it up with the Lord's Supper. That's why it got its name, the communion. And then they would go back hopefully to make a difference in their communities. In 1801, on August 6th, outside of Lexington, Kentucky, they started, uh, they had one of those communions at the Cane Ridge, later to be called the Cane Ridge Meeting Place. Only this time, instead of one or 2,000 people showing up, more than 20,000 people showed up for this. And there was prayer and preaching and praise and weeping and repenting and the spirit of God showed up in a big way so that when those 20,000 people went back, everything changed. It was because those people and a group of other people began to say, you know, reformation was good, but we tried to reform something that was broken in the first place. We should have restored the Bible instead of tried to reform a broken church. And so they begin to say things like, what would it look like if we restored the church to look like the book of Acts? What if, for example, we didn't say we're the only Christians, but that's all we're going to be. We're just going to be Christians. We're not going to throw some other name on some other you know, group there. What if we didn't make books, creed books that went along with a denomination, but we said uh, no book but the Bible, no creed but Christ? What if we didn't have a hierarchy of politics denominationally, but we let every local church be its own leader and make its own decisions? And those kind of things exploded across not only the country, but the world. The restoration movement, it was called. And our roots at First Christian Church go back to that movement that started in 1801. History story number three. In 1923, J. Lindley Adams and his wife moved to Fort Myers looking for a restoration church. The restoration movement was only about 100 years old, but it had taken off. And where they moved from had a restoration Christian church. They couldn't find one, so they put an ad in the news press and said, we're going to start a restoration movement Christian church in Fort Myers. If you want to come, the first Sunday is November 4th, 1923. Six families showed up in their home. And they realized, our house isn't big enough. So they begin to meet at the Gwynn Institute on 2nd Street in room 13. That was where the first Christian church met. It's where they decided the name since they were the first Christian church in town. They thought they would just call themselves the first Christian church. That little group could not afford a full-time pastor. In fact, for the first 15 years of the church, there was never a full-time pastor. There were guys who would travel through. There were guys who were bivocational. There were guys who would preach maybe at two or three churches in the area. And this little group would take advantage of that, of those five part-time pastors. In 1930, they pulled their funds and they bought their first piece of property on the corner of Turnham and McGregor for $8,000. In 1932, 
In 19, that was in 1930. In 1931, they built their first building, which was there till five years ago, for $11,000. It's not quite the same building cost as today, is it? But they continued to grow to the point that in 1936, they hired their first full-time pastor. His name was Eric Dance, and he was here for 36 years as the lead pastor. And a lot of things changed. First Christian Church in those 36 years built a great reputation in town. In 1953, they bought more land on McGregor and they built what we now call the Family Center. It's the building with the steeple. And they built that, bought the land and built the building for $80,000. I think we spent almost that fixing the steeple a couple years ago. But they continued to grow and to buy other land. And uh, in 1963, they built a fellowship hall that had a, a new kitchen and a meeting room and children's ministry and offices. And uh, things just continued to grow for that church. In 1972, the second full-time pastor of First Christian Church, John Pierce, was invited to lead. And he was here for almost 15 years. And he continued to grow the church and to be an impact in the community in 1975, they built the two-story education building out along, that's on McGregor. They put a new lobby on the, on the worship center, what we call the family center, and uh, continued to buy land here. They bought some apartments that when I came years later, those apartments were about where the middle row is there now. And we used them for a youth building at that time and uh, just continued to grow the church. In 1987, 86, 87, Jeff Metzger became the third full-time lead pastor at First Christian Church. And in his years here, his eight years here, he really moved the church in a direction it needed to go. He moved it forward in the sense of technology and of reaching the culture and finding what pleases God. We added contemporary services. We changed the style of the church to more look like the community. And, and things began to change and things began to take off. And, and it's all, we always had a good history. I mean, when they built the church in 1953, it was advertised as the first church in town with chilled air. That's what they called it back then, chilled air. I mean... In Florida, uh, you don't even have to like God to go to church if they got chilled air. You just, you just want to go someplace and sit where it's cool. Well, Jeff began to move us forward in those directions and in those things and did a super job here. Um, in 18, or in 18, in 1989, I told Lynn, I said, if I can keep all these dates straight in my head this morning, it'll be a miracle. In 1989, Jeff Metzger called me in Indiana in January, and he said, hey, I would like for you to come to Fort Myers and be our discipleship pastor. I was a student and worship pastor, children's pastor. I'm like, I have no clue what that is. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> and, and so he continued to call until finally God made it clear to Lynn and I that we needed to pack up, and in October, we came to be the discipleship pastor, only to find out that in January, Jeff changed my title to small groups pastor in 1990. So I was a small groups pastor for two years and failed at it miserably and went to him in 1992 and I go, listen, <laughs> I'm no good at this. I've been doing this two years. We got, I think, six groups, mine, my wife's, yours, your wife's. It's just not working out, you know? And uh, he said, what do you wanna do? I said, let me be the children's pastor. That sounds like fun and we don't have any kids in our church. We're old. So I became the children's pastor in 92 and then in 1995, when Jeff Metzger was called to New Jersey to another ministry, 
that got together a team to look for a pastor and they go, you know, this is a lot of work. Wouldn't it just be easier to ask Gary to do it? And so they did. They settled and in 1995, they asked me to be the lead pastor and uh, it's been quite a journey. We thought that God was calling us. Oh, thanks, this. Thank you. Yeah, the joy's all been mine, believe me. Yeah, we thought God was calling us maybe to leave, you know, downtown. Uh, things begin to grow. Some of you were here. How many of you were here when we were doing four services in that building? Yeah, I mean, it was like we had an 8 o'clock, a 9.10, a 10.20, and 11.30 service in that building. And the lobby holds about six people and a dog. And it was like... We, we would be packed in there and we made the sermon the last thing because it was the only thing negotiable and there was a big clock on the balcony in the back and I would be almost done preaching, go, we gotta be done, okay, we got another service in nine minutes, everybody stand, be blessed, go out the front doors, be gone, new group come in, eight minutes, we start another service. And we did that for two or three years and begin to see that maybe God wanted us to do something else so we tried to buy the Metro Mall which is now the education building for Lee County Schools uh, out off Colonial, we tried to buy the Boulevard Plaza down here where the Publix is, and God kept closing the doors, and we said, maybe we're supposed to stay, and God made land available for us for parking to build this. So in 2021, no, 2001, thank you, 2001, we uh, built this building and moved into it, and God has just continued uh, to bless. Through those years, we continued to buy other property. We, we bought the youth building behind us. We bought the property across the street for, for offices and God continued to bring us things that we needed for ministry. Over those 30 years, we have at one time, total debt we've had over those 30 years has been almost $6 million. I'm thrilled that this morning that's under 500,000, that the final debt that we owe in the church. Yeah. And that's been because of the, of the faithfulness of the people and the giving. Through the years, our church, First Christian, has been a part of planning eight other congregations in Lee County and Collier County and Charlotte County. If there's a Christian church, we probably had a role in that. In 1947, we were one of the 10 churches that started Lake Aurora, uh, our Christian camp. Um, two of those churches, Lehigh and Cross Point, we started completely from our church and uh, sent people and sent money and and. I remember a cross point, if you all were here that Sunday, that was, was that 05 or 06? I think 06, that we had been asked people to begin praying about who would go plant that new church in Cape Coral. And uh, we had given Jeff a list and he had contacted some people and we thought maybe 100 would go. That was our goal. And on that Sunday, we said, I foolishly said, and if you're going to the cross point church, would you just stand? And some people who stood up, I was not expecting and some people I was hoping would stand up did not. <laughs> and, and it was like, wow. I'm like, I'm looking around going, we just gave them 175 cream of the crop people. What were we thinking? But uh, it was a blessing. And that church has, has done amazing things in the community. And we were just thrilled uh, to be a part of that. Through the years, this church has been faithful to missions. I mean, we have people that grew up in our church and went to the mission field. And uh, we didn't just have to wait till we got a letter from somebody saying, hey, would you support us? We knew them from the time they were babies and we supported them as they went to Bulgaria and China and Africa and, and all over the world. We've had missionaries 
Australia or New Zealand. We've had missionaries that we've supported that grew up in our church. There was a time uh, when we were doing the capital campaign for this church, commitments came in at about $2 million. And our leadership team, we said, that's just commitments, that's not money. We said, should we tithe off of that? We're like, wow, that would be a bold move. We don't even have the money yet. Should you tithe money you don't have? We said, we think God would bless that. And we wrote a $200,000 check to Africa Hope that started that ministry in Kenya that's still going strong uh, for them. And uh, our church has continued to be strong in missions. We've had some great staff through the years. And uh, yet I feel like uh, our staff team right now as a whole is the best staff we've ever had. We've had some great elders through the years. And yet I feel like our leadership team, our elders right now is the best team that we have ever had. So where does that bring us? History lesson number four. In 2020, we had a little bug going around called COVID. And uh, in that downtime, when we were not allowed to meet, uh, I really spent some time just praying, God, what's the future of the church gonna look like? You know, what's gonna be different? What needs to change? I wasn't expecting the answer I got because I kept sensing from God that this would be time for a change of leadership. And I'm like, but I'm only 64 at the time or 63, I forget, but I'm like, but I'm not old. And, and it was like, well, I'm not, I, I sense God saying, I'm not asking you to go anywhere. I just think you need somebody younger leading and uh, shared that with the elders and we began to pray about that and then we all got excited about that, what that would look like and how important that could be for the future of the church. So after about six months of prayer in December of 2020, we began to search and we put the, put the word out through our networks nationwide that we're looking for someone that would come and be transition and uh, the, the stipulation was that Gary's gonna be staying. Well, that turned some people off right away, <laughs> you know? Yeah, some of you too, I know. It was, uh, but it was, it was uh, when you say that to some guys, we had some guys that would have been great pastors, but they said, well, Gary needs to leave and I need to be made the lead pastor the day I show up. And our guys were like, well, Gary's got like, 17 people just in his family. And if you call, count all of, his, all, of his kin, all of his kin on Sunday, there's 32 of them. Those are six giving families. We can't just kick them out of the church, you know? So, so they decided they'd let us stay. And uh, we just trusted God in the process. And that list went from six people to, uh, to two people. And we did a lot of interviews and a lot of visiting with them and their families. And uh, in February of 2021, we invited one of those families to come and if they would consider that. And we had some parameters for who this person had to be. We wanted somebody, you know, close to 20 years younger than me. We believe in longevity here and we want somebody that would at least commit a couple decades, you know, unless God clearly called them someplace else. We, we would let God do that. But we wanted somebody who had shown that they could stay. And we wanted somebody who had grown a ministry uh, actually beyond us. And so we found someone who had planted a church in Chicago 15 years ago and grown it to more than 1,500 people. And it stayed there. And so we asked them in February if uh, they would be willing to consider coming, being our next lead pastor. And in July, uh, Matt and Janice and the kids all moved here. And, and a big part of that was Matt's humility of just being able to say, hey, I'll come be on staff and learn the culture. 
and do whatever you need me to do. And let's just start that process like that. And we set no timeline. We never said, well, this, here's when it's gonna happen and here's when the change is gonna take place. We just have trusted God in the process. And uh, it's been pretty sweet in all of that. So I'm thrilled that we're here today. Now, what's that mean for me? I appreciate all of you congratulating me on my retirement. I'm still working. Uh, but I do appreciate the leadership that has let me uh, go to more of a part-time role. And uh, so I'm still on the teaching team and still under preaching rotation and, and still here about every day of the week and involved with Connection Point and those families. But uh, they allowed me, uh, as I've gotten older now, to enjoy a little more part-time role. But you're going to let me stay, so I'm pretty thrilled about that, at least at this point, and uh, that they're, they're going to let me stay. So it's been exciting in this whole process. So what does that mean today? Well, I thought of a couple of things that happened back in 1995 when they asked me to be the lead pastor that really were meaningful to me. And so I decided I'd really like those things to happen today. So Matt, if you would, would come on up, there's something I wanna do. One thing that, that people did uh, for me in 1995 as an affirmation was when they introduced me as the next lead pastor, they just uh, stood and applauded. And I know it doesn't sound like much, but it was a huge blessing to me. I would just ask you this morning to show Matt your affirmation to him. Okay, that's enough. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't I think they're applauding that you're you're moving into a part-time role. They didn't, really they didn't clap that long for me, so that's funny. <laughs> Actually, I told him, I said, I see eight people that aren't standing and clapping. So it's just uh, so. The other thing that was so meaningful to me was that uh, we had a prayer time with our elders in that service. And so I want to do that this morning. I'm going to ask Matt and Janice, his wife, and the kids were in first service. They're all in youth right now. If you guys could make your way to the middle, our elders uh, would, would like to come and, and pray with you. The rest of us are just going to kind of turn that direction and direct our prayers there. Uh, you can go ahead. Uh, I'm going to ask Mark Webb. He's our longest serving elder. Uh, I, first service, I said he's our longest surviving elder. He said that might not be, that might not be the right word. I was like, well, you served with me. That's what I was meaning. You survived that for thirty some years. But when Mark was an elder when I got here thirty three years ago, and still an elder, and just huge blessing to our church. This is our eldership team. I'm going to ask if uh, Mark would, would pray for Matt and Janice uh, at this time. Lord, what a great day, and we are just so humbled before you as we consider your love and your power that is work within us and within this church. And we are truly blessed. And as we think back you know, over the past and the way that we have been influenced through those who have come before us, you know, we are grateful. Thank you for their faithfulness, for their uh, service, their labor in the Lord, and Lord, and for their love and unity. Those things uh, have helped us and you've used those things to bring us to where we are today. And yet, Lord, we know that um, that is the past. And even though there's much to learn, uh, we look to the future that you have for us. But Lord, as we consider the past, I've got to say thank you for Gary, 
for his faithful service to you and to this church over the last uh, three plus decades. We want a blessing. He's been to so many through the use of his gifts that you've given him and Lord, they've been multiplied and uh, we truly are grateful and we know that that influence will continue uh, beyond today. And we, again, we just thank you for his ministry. Good Lord, we're here today to set aside Matt as our senior lead pastor. Lord, we're so grateful for him that you called him uh, to be a part of what you were doing here in Fort Myers. And Lord, we are so thankful for his dedication to you, for his devotion to preaching and teaching. And Lord, for uh, the gift of leadership that you have given him, thank you for that. Lord, we pray that you will just pour out your spirit in a powerful and abundant way upon him as he leads us into that future. Lord, that his leadership will be a following of how you lead. And Lord, we pray that uh, through your power, he will speak your word and your truth with boldness. And Lord, we uh, again just give you so much thanks for that. We pray that through his ministry, your people will be equipped for works of service so that the church will be built up and so that, Lord, we can uh, just grow in our unity, grow in our knowledge of Christ and grow in our experience of the fullness of the life that we have in Christ. And Lord, we also lift up uh, Matt's beautiful and precious family. Thank you so much uh, that they are a part of this body. Lord, we thank you for Janice and Drew, Nathan, Jake, and Ella. Lord, they are such a blessing to so many, and Lord, let us uh, just have eyes that are open to how we can bless them. And Lord, that together we will all stand firm in our faith and be the people that you've called to this community to lift up Christ for the praise of his glory. And that, Lord, that will be the future for many years uh, until you uh, call us home. We love you and praise you and thank you for this uh, day in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, and now I kind of feel like a wedding DJ. Um, I'd like to introduce to you for the very first time my dear friend, my new boss, and our lead pastor, Matt Summers. Pastoral ministry is, a, is, is an incredible privilege and calling, and uh, Gary can attest to this. Uh, there are days that, that we know and believe and feel like we are really walking in the footsteps of Jesus, and then there are days when we know and feel that we are really not walking in the footsteps of Jesus, and that's just the reality of it. We, we like to say we're faithfully following Jesus, but the truth is that we are fallibly following Jesus. Jesus, but I do want to say this about Gary. Uh, in so many ways, this past year and a half, Gary has exemplified Christ to me profoundly, graciously. He has been the Tim McGraw song, "Always Be Humble and Kind." Gary has been so humble and so kind to me, 
and he has been so generous with his wisdom, with his advice, with his friendship. Uh, we talk a lot about, uh, we can go through life with closed hands, like holding everything in, or we can go through life with open hands and be willing to share and give and be a part of something together, and Gary has been that for me. And most, more than half of all ministry transitions fail in the first year, and this has been an extraordinary experience because of course God has led it, but because of how Gary has carried himself through this. And so I wanna just real quickly say thank you not only to Gary, but to his whole family for the ministry that they have led over the years here at First Christian Church. And I think we need to celebrate all of them right now. pray this message has been a blessing to you. If we can pray for you or encourage you in any capacity, please let us know at FCCFM.org.